It was September 1st, 1939. Der Blitzkrieg, if you know any European or American or even world history. Der Blitzkrieg, right? The Blitzkrieg. Hitler's Nazi Germany invaded Poland. And Poland met the German tanks with their cavalry. The world would never be the same. That same month, September 1939, the British government issued this poster. Freedom is in peril. Defend it with all your might. That poster was found all around Great Britain. Pubs, train stations, meeting places. That same summer in 1939, that same September, the UK also published this other poster. Your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. And that poster as well. Over three million of each of these posters were printed, and they were all around England to give people a sense of confidence. And we're in this together, and the disaster is imminent, but we will survive. There was a third poster in this series that the British officials kept at bay. They didn't want to issue the third poster until there was a massive disaster like the Germans invading England. And about three million of those posters were printed as well. But the public never saw that poster. Never saw the light of day until 2001. That's when an English bookstore owner opened up a box of books, and there was the third poster in the series. And what did that third poster say? Well, you know, keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Well, this started selling like hotcakes, right? This bookstore owner realized that he was sitting on mega millions of (laughs) dollars. So they put Keep Calm and Carry On on coffee mugs and T-shirts and postcards and the rest, as they say, would be what? History. We continue our sermon series on the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah under the theme Surviving Disasters. And we come to chapter 13 in Jeremiah, chapters 1 through 11. And in 1 through 11 of chapter 13, Jeremiah says, keep calm in a disaster. Keep calm and listen on. That's the truth of the day. Keep calm right? Be a non-anxious presence. Don't freak out. Don't do something crazy. Keep calm and listen on. Listen on to the Lord. There are other voices, though, to listen to when a disaster strikes. And we know those voices, right? (laughs) 
Human communication experts tell us that 75% of all human communication is negative. (laughs) That probably comes as no surprise to you, right? This picture captures that. 75% of all human communication is kind of like this. In fact, these same experts tell us that before we are even four years old, we have heard over 350,000 don'ts, won'ts, knows, shouldn'ts, couldn'ts, and who do you think you are? (laughs) These same voices specialize in catastrophizing and awfulizing, and doomsdayizing. And we hear these voices on the radio and on TV, all of these talking heads, about 75% of it is all negative. It's really hard to stay calm in a disaster when all you're listening to would be negative voices. And we don't stay calm. We get filled with what? Stress. Stress. And stress is killing us. I mean, 2020 is the year of stress, right? What does stress do? 60% of all illnesses and diseases are related to stress. 60%. 60% of the people right now in any hospital are there because they are stressed out because of some kind of disaster. 75% of all doctor's visits are connected to stress. 13% of all Americans, that's about 19 million Americans, ages 18 to 54, suffer from acute stress. That is to say, they can't even function. 19 million people. 44% of all Americans lose sleep every night because of stress. Boy, I'm one of those 44, no doubt about that. If you're 65 years or older, your number one health issue is what? Stress. Stress is killing us. It's so hard to keep calm in a disaster. When we listen to negative voices in the media... And we revert to anxiety and worry and stress. So what does God do about that? He sends prophets. Prophets. Now when I say that word prophet, you probably are thinking someone who speaks God's word. And that would be correct. When I say the word prophet, you're probably thinking someone who writes God's word, and that would be correct. But when I say the word prophet, I also want you to think of someone who not only speaks or writes, but does God's word. They're called prophetic sign acts. We understand the actions speak louder than words. So if someone really wants to get our attention, they'll do something. Actions speak louder than words. Prophets know this. So these prophetic sign acts, they do radical things, shocking things, obnoxious things. Isaiah, he walks around barefoot and naked for three years. 
Check it out, Isaiah chapter 20. Hosea marries a prostitute named Gomer. Not Goober, Gomer. Check it out, Hosea chapter 1. Ezekiel lays on his left side for 390 days, on his right side for 40 days. (laughs) Check it out, Ezekiel chapter 4. Actions speak louder than words. So if prophets are going to gain a hearing when there's a disaster, they're going to do something radical and shocking. And so what does Jeremiah do? How does Jeremiah fit in this sequence of prophetic synax? Jeremiah, you already heard this, Jeremiah wears dirty underwear. That's quite a prophetic sign act. It's in chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. It all begins with the loincloth, right? God tells Jeremiah, go and buy an Azor. I've just transliterated the Hebrew there. Azor uh, could be translated loincloth, undergarment, waistband. But for my Hebrew shekels, Azor means fruit of the loom, hangs. It's underwear. Does Jeremiah have your attention? He sure has mine. I never knew this was in the Bible. Did you? (laughs) The lesson. So there's the loincloth. The the lesson part of this sermon is a whole lot longer, right? Because Jeremiah wants to teach us with the loincloth a lesson. And chapter 13, verse 1 continues. God says, do not dip the linen loincloth, the Azor, right, the underwear, in water. Now you need to understand that, that in antiquity, in many places today, people just had like one shirt, They just have one pair of pants. They just have one pair of shoes. There's no closets. I've been to two-thirds world countries. So have you. I've been to Kenya. I've been to places in Nairobi. I've been to places in Tanzania. And some of these places have people who just have one set of clothes. One set of clothes. No closets. So so that's the way it was in antiquity. It's not like you had a drawer full of underwear. You had one pair of underwear. And so what you did in ancient Israel is you would wear your underwear a day, you'd you'd dip it in water at night, and you'd put it on the next day because you just had one pair. God says to Jeremiah, don't wash your underwear. How long did that go on for? A couple days? A couple weeks? A couple months? The text doesn't say. But you can imagine that Jeremiah took some heat. Can, can you imagine? Jeremiah walking around Jerusalem. Jeremiah, you stink! Jeremiah, didn't your mother teach you better? Jeremiah, haven't you learned about personal hygiene? No wonder Three Dog Night sang the song. You know it. I know it. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. He was a good friend of mine. I never understood a word he said, but I helped him drink his wine. 
God then tells Jeremiah to take his dirty underwear and bury it. Can you imagine what Jeremiah must have thought? As he dug that hole with his shovel by the Euphrates River, he must have said to that dirty underwear, good riddance, dirty underwear. See you later, dirty underwear. But then Jeremiah 13 goes on. Did you pick that up? God commands Jeremiah to go get get a shovel again and dig up the dirty underwear and put it on and parade around Jerusalem. Oh, no, Jeremiah must have said as he dug it up, this is now good for nothing. And that's God's point. That's the lesson from the loincloth. says in Jeremiah 13, verse 10, this evil people who refuse to listen, I find, One of the hardest things to do in life is what? Listen. Because I like to talk. (laughs) And I like to fix people's problems. And I like to interrupt. It's so hard to listen. Especially when there's a disaster. You know the story of Jeremiah by now. This is the early 6th century B.C. The Babylonians are on the march. They're going to come and they're going to steamroll. Talk about a blitzkrieg. They're going to destroy Judah and Jerusalem. And it's in that context that the people refuse to listen to God's words. God calls them evil. They're stubbornly following their own heart. And and God goes on. You've gone after other gods to serve them and worship them. And if you do that, you're like this loincloth. You're like the dirty underwear that's been buried, and now it has been unearthed, and you are good for nothing. What's behind these people and their refusal to listen to God's word? Jeremiah tells us in 13 verse 9, it's the same thing that's behind you and me. When when we simply refuse to listen to God's words. And that would be the word that sounds like this. Pride. Pride. Now, there's a good kind of pride, right? That's great. I'm proud of my country. I'm proud of my son. I'm proud of my family. Proud of my business. Proud of what I've been able to accomplish. That's fine. That's good. That's good kind of pride. But we're talking about bad kind of pride. This is the kind of pride we're talking about. Where it's what? (laughs) You know, all I really need in a disaster is me. I don't really need to listen to anyone else, anytime, anywhere, anyhow. No, I'm my own moral compass. I can figure it out all on my own. Thank you very much, God, but I've got this in the bag. Pride. It was pride, right, that finally left Israel buried in Babylon. Because they wouldn't listen. It was pride that finally leaves us buried in despair because we won't listen. So we've had the loincloth. There's the lesson. 
Sounds like the end, right? How could it be the end? The loincloth, the lesson, the love, the love. Jeremiah's going to continue to talk about his, his underwear, his loincloth, his waistband. But now it's in a loving context. This is how the whole prophetic sign act ends. Jeremiah 13, 11. God speaking, for as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man or a woman, right? I mean, our, our underwear is supposed to cling. It can't be baggy, right? Got to be really tight to the skin. We know that. He says, so I made the whole house of Israel, the whole house of Judah, cling to me, declares the Lord. God makes his people, take a look at that. He makes us cling to him. And that, that word cling, of course, it's highlighted there. It's a fascinating word. It, it means to, to hold on and never let go. It, it means to grab and and. and, and, and Hold on, come what may. It means that you're stuck, that you are like Velcro, right? That you're cemented, cling. The first time this word comes in the Bible is Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Cling, cling. Debak in Hebrew is what it sounds like. And Moses says, a man will leave his mother and father and cling. There it is, cling, debak. Be stuck to, be enmeshed with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's what God does with you and me. He makes us cling to him. So we become one with him. This word also comes in Ruth chapter 1 verse 14. You know the story about Ruth, right? Ruth and her sister-in-law named Orpah, their husbands died, Malan and Killian. Malan means death, Killian means disease. They're bound to die, all right? So then Naomi, their mother-in-law, says, you need to stay back in Moab. Just, just, you'll find men in Moab. Don't go with me. So Orpah, Orpah leaves. But Ruth, Ruth, Ruth 1.14, Ruth clings. Ruth won't let Naomi go. Uh, Ruth says, come what may, we are one. And then in Ruth 1.16, right? <laughs> uh, Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. That's cling, that's debauch, that's holding on, come what may, and that's God's love for you. Even when you don't listen. Even when we feel like we're good for nothing. Even when we feel like we're buried in despair. God says, no, I'm gonna make you cling to me. And the two will become one. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's quite a prophetic sign act, don't you think? <laughs> and all from a pair of what? Underwear. Israel's greatest prophet came along. 
And he did something even more radical. Do you know that? Even more radical than Isaiah running around barefoot and naked. Hosea with the prostitute. Ezekiel laying around all the time. Even something more radical than Jeremiah. You see, Jesus came along, Israel's greatest prophet. And what did he wear? Swaddling clothes. You know what those are, folks? Rags. Joseph and Mary couldn't afford a baby suit for Jesus. They had to wrap him in rags. Shocking indeed. But that was just getting things started. In John chapter 13, Jesus puts on the garments of a slave to wash people's feet. But all of this pales in comparison to what happened on Good Friday. On Good Friday, after Jesus was mocked and tormented and placed on a stick on a hill called Calvary, it was at that point that Jesus wore the most shocking item ever. Did you know that? Uh, Much more shocking than Jeremiah's underwear. (laughs) No, Jesus wore and put on something that is the shock of all shock. And what would that be? He who had no sin became sin for us. That's what Paul preaches, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, puts on our sin. All of our wretched thoughts, all of our missed opportunities, all of our cruel words. Uh, Peter, for his part, puts it this way in 1 Peter 1, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus carries, wore, put on all your baggage, all your brokenness, all your sin. You don't have to carry it at all. It's all on Jesus. Now that is a shocking item to put on. The sin of the world. Those who orchestrated this bloody execution. You know why they did it? They felt as though Jesus was good for nothing. So what do you do when something's good for nothing? Ask Jeremiah. You bury it. As we go on in the book of Jeremiah, we will see that God couldn't leave his people buried in Babylon, right? He clings to them. How could he leave them buried in Babylon? How could the father leave his son buried in the tomb? And how could God leave you buried in despair? Jesus is alive. He he bears the marks. You see the hands in this painting, right? He bears the marks of Calvary, but he is very much alive. So we keep calm and listen on. Listen on to the words of our living, loving Lord who says in the prophet Jeremiah, most famous verse, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to shalom you. That's the Hebrew word there. Quite often, plans to prosper you or give you welfare. No, 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 no. Shalom means to put our broken lives back together again. Plans to shalom you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Are you listening to that? 
Am I listening to this? Keep calm. Carry on. Listen on to the loving voice of Jesus. In 1911, there was a great race to the South Pole. Maybe you know about this. Is a Norwegian team and a team from the UK. The Norwegians were led by a man named Raoul Amundsen. Amundsen listened to the voice of truth. Robert Scott, who led the, the Brits, he didn't listen to the voice of truth. They had the same amount of men, same amount of supplies. They, they had the same weather conditions. The Norwegians beat the Brits by 34 days. What was the difference? Raoul Amundsen listened to the truth. What is the truth when you're trying to get to the South Pole? 15 to 20 miles a day. Bad weather, 15 or 20 miles a day. Good weather, 15 or 20 miles a day. Blizzard, 15 or 20 miles a day. Robert Scott, leading the Brits, didn't listen. He knew better. When there's a blizzard, you don't move. When you have good weather, you push your team to the limit. Amundsen and the Norwegians didn't lose a man. And they won the race. Scott, Robert Scott, lost his life. He lost the lives of many of his men. And, of course, he lost the race because he wouldn't listen. When a disaster hits, don't do something crazy. Don't let despair overwhelm you. Don't let fear crush you. Don't let stress destroy you. Instead, what? <laughs> Keep calm. Be a non-anxious presence. Be at peace. Keep calm and listen on. Listen to the voice of Jesus. That's finally what Samuel does. Samuel is just a young man, maybe eight or nine years old, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, under the tutelage of the high priest named Eli. And you know what Samuel says? This is a, this is a whole sermon. Samuel says it in 1 Samuel 3 verse 9. You ready? Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. 